Hello, you're listening to Don't Listen to This Podcast All About Thousand One fil- uh, Albums to Listen Not Films. I'm in a different mindset completely. Thousand One Albums to Listen To Before You Die, or allegedly should. I'm Ewan Gledo. I've got a nice new haircut. My hearing's back. Back again to talk about Robert Dimery's collection of albums that you should allegedly listen to before you shuffle off the mortal coil. I am, as ever, joined by a fantastic guest. I'm. It's a genuine pleasure to introduce John Nichol, who is an absolutely incredible musician, a radio host, a playlist innovator for the embassies. Um, an absolute pleasure to have you. How are you? Uh, mate, I'm really good. I'm very thrilled to be here this morning talking about um, one of my favourite subjects. Fantastic. Yeah. And um, I suppose it, it kind, kind of leans into what we're about to talk about. But have you been listening to anything good recently? Yeah, oh, well, I've got a, a, quite a painful anecdote to relate. Oh, <laughs> I'm, um, there's, as I, I, you might well be aware, there's a new Beach Boys box set um, just come out Sailor on Sailor. Which, and I think we've chatted a bit before, buddy, about um, about the Beach Boys album Surf's Up. This one is this box set focuses on um, Carl and the Passions and Holland album, and but I, I can't really afford to buy it till January. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I've been kind of like uh, just you know haunting myself by watching YouTube <laughs> unpackings of the box set, um, and even worse than that, I actually bought I pre-ordered the, the box set from Amazon, and then I had a crisis of conscience and thought I can't justify 120 quid before Christmas for kids and blah blah. <laughs> And uh, but so my that, that 120 quid is now stuck in pending on our, uh, in my oh, bank yeah. oh my god! But so I've been, I've been revisiting lots of early 70s Beach Boys, which I I, I adore that stuff. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I listened to Carry Me Home, which was one of the singles oh, they released yeah. for it. It's amazing that they can just sit on that for decades and then think, oh, we'll we'll release it now. Yeah, go for it. There's, a, there's a great a great quote somewhere saying that the Beach Boys have you know the the, the, the unreleased stuff in the Beach Boys archives is better than most bands' released stuff. Yeah. You know, which is which is which sounds ridiculous, but you can almost imagine that being true. Certainly, with things like, as you say, carrying me home, mind blowing, and also the Beach Boys. I think often more interesting or even better versions lie of, of yeah. albums lie in the vaults. You know, it's absolutely yeah. And I mean, I suppose we're talking about just as innovative a musician today with um, Elvis Presley, who is yeah. kind of. I mean, I suppose I always ask this to guests when 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 I ask them to choose an album. Is sort of people tend to lean towards albums they have memories with or, or experiences with. And I was just wondering what your experience is with, from Elvis in Memphis. Oh, my God. Um, well, I, I Elvis really is one of the defining things in my in my, in my my life that I, I became... I saw an Elvis movie called That's the Way It Is, which was filmed in 1970 when I was about seven years old. And without sounding too silly, it literally did change my life. I thought, well, I want to be a... Mu- I, I have to be a musician and... Uh, Actually, I, I probably wanted to be Elvis, which is difficult when you're living in suburban Margate in the mid <laughs> Um especially when you look like, like I do as well. But I, I, it changed my life, and so, um, and so, an Elvis mania started from that period, and um, and so I would kind of hoard charity shops and cassettes in that era. And one of the first things I got was uh, where is it? Here it is. On cassette, I had this album, which is called the Memphis Record, which is a oh. compilation. Which is really cool. I got this in my yeah. life a few years ago, but I had this in cassette, and it's like remixes, but basically it's stuff cold from the sessions that uh, that uh, built up the From Elvis in Memphis album and a few other bits and singles, and also Back in Memphis, which was the follow up. Um, and so, so my memories of, of this whole period of Elvis's career are just kind of like incendiary, kind of yeah. just you know being mind blown and just kind of um, yeah falling in love with an artist really, and, and slowly. And the beautiful people think about an, an artist like Elvis and like the Beach Boys as well. The, 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 the kind of catalogue is so huge that, especially as a kid and in the pre-internet era, 
you know, you're, you, it's a mind-blowing thing because you you, you have a, like a, a crappy kind of greatest hits compilation and it's very difficult to associate certain tracks sound so different. You know, you're an early Elvis song than something from this period and it's kind of, you're trying to make sense of this stuff before there's kind of, you know, there's 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 uh, discographies and things online and it, it sounds like different artists. Yeah. And so, um, but anyway, I, I'm, I'm not... I'm no, not, no, I can, I can prove that yeah. point that you've got there because I've got Elvis Rock's 14 golden hits behind me. And yeah. it goes from Heartbreak Hotel to Hound Dog to All Shook Up to Let Me Be a Teddy Bear, and it's yeah. a bit of a car crash of tracks. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I remember being yeah. given this when I first started collecting records um, by my grandparents. They were like, "Oh, we've got some in the attic," and they had yeah. two Elvis compilation albums. I'm like, "I'll keep them until I can get them through Rough Trade," and then I've just kind of <laughs> stuck around with them because it's you yeah, know, yeah, you yeah. Just drop the needle on Hound Dog, lift it back up, and put it back. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's no. I've, I've got a, a really good uh, drummer friend of mine, and and he uh, he he pointed out that probably Hound Dog really is probably one of the first. It, it, it's basically heavy metal, isn't it? Yeah, it's, pretty it's, much. It's still shocking. I've got a really nice um, Asian uh, EP actually. I found in Hong Kong years ago, and it's really scratchy. But Hound Dog still sounds freaking mind blowing. For all these years, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, nineteen fifty six. That's my, that's unbelievable. I think it's it was. You know, I'll, I'll do the boring insert in a minute because yeah. it's, that bit doesn't really make much difference. But I think it's it's amazing how Elvis's music, particularly for me, is just so. Th- there's a legacy to it, obviously, but the 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 amazing part is that it just it sounds incredible still. I think you could, yeah. if if it released now, you could put it up there still. It it really is stunning, um, yeah. and I think that is cemented with from Elvis in Memphis and it's an interesting period for Elvis it's an interesting time for his discography it, it feels like the perfect blend for a lot of behind the scenes stuff as well as on record stuff which is yeah, absolutely. wonderful yep. um, I'll drag us through the keynotes then um, yeah. as if they're contractually obligated to be carried out um, so just a few quick keynotes we've got from Elvis in Memphis released by Elvis Presley in 1969 it had Elvis Presley on it, obviously, but the likes of Reggie Young from the Memphis Boys, Dan Penn from Spooner and the Spoons were also there as session musicians and guitarists. Um, the genres that it's been defined by, allegedly, are blue-eyed soul, country soul, rhythm and blues, and rock and roll, which I think uh, about summarises Elvis at this period quite nicely. So I'm going to have a nice sip of my machine-made coffee, and I'll crack through this insert. I'm regretting. I've, I've got a, a, a grotesque novelty mug that an auntie bought for me. I, I would never deliver. <laughs> I think I'm deliberately sitting here with a, a mug that has guitars. Okay. <laughs> Shit. Let me hide it out of the screen. I've used this mug knowing full well that it's far too big for the coffees I have, but I'm just too <laughs> stubborn to buy another mug. I mean, it, it's pretty big. I mean, the coffee yeah. in there is non-existent at this point, but <laughs> far too stubborn to get anything else. I've got a nice glass of water as well, actually. I could live without alcohol quite easily, but I definitely couldn't live without caffeine. Yeah, you know what? I think I, I could go teetotal, no problem, starting tomorrow, as long yeah. as I had coffee. I think I'd be fine with that. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, because I think caffeine kind of fuels your day, whereas alcohol is a nice end or a nice diversion throughout yeah. it. But caffeine is just like it's like petrol for the car, isn't it? it it's exactly that. I, I was reading recently as well. It's kind of like you, you wake up the first thing that you have is to have a coffee. I, I didn't realise you meant to kind of wait a little bit to wake yourself up so you don't have that midday crash. So I've been experimenting with how I drink the coffee at what time of day. I've just You've found, been free falling for all your yeah, adult life. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like I'm, I'm getting on to 23 now. I'm, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm getting on a bit. So it's I need that coffee boost in the afternoon. Um, but no, I'll get us through this insert. And we can start cracking on. 
Uh, hey, can I just quickly run off and grab myself a quick glass of water? Yeah, of course, yeah. I'll pause the recording. I think that's resumed there. My editing skills are terrible, so if there's a good chance this will just be left in. <laughs> You're making it look like a Roman centurion or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think it was reading the inserts. We got after the genres, the album, all those good yep. bits. I was about to start the insert, um, which right. we've had a recurring theme with these inserts that some of them haven't been very good. Um, okay. the Abbey Road one I remember being particularly useless and it's not a slide on the journalists that have written this or the, the reviewers what is, what is the, uh, what is the are you, you mean you're reading for the book now yeah but it's so essentially every album has an insert that explains yeah. the sort of the period the time the recording and the release are yeah. meant to um, right, okay, the, yeah. the, this one does I think I think the, the further yeah. into the book you go the, the more clutching at straws it gets um, this one's particularly <laughs> good, though. I think this is okay. fine. So we'll crack on through. Yeah. Elvis Presley spent much of the 1960s concentrating on starring in increasingly awful films. His comeback began with a 1968 TV special in which he concentrated on the R&B numbers of his youth. Inspired by the experience, Elvis relocated to his hometown of Memphis, then a red-hot musical metropolis, issuing forth regular soul and pop hits, and booked sessions at American Sound Studios. ASS was run by top producer Chips Mormon and employed a crew of legendary session musicians, among them Dan Penn, Tommy Cogbill, and Reggie Young. Elvis had not recorded in Memphis for 14 years, but the sessions with their easygoing southern humour and the warm local ambience meant he enjoyed himself immensely. Along with covers of songs Elvis wanted to record, Mormon fed him songs that he, as a publisher and producer, had procured. There was Soul Singer Jerry Butler's recent hit Only the Strong Survive, which, just as a side note... um, Bruce Springsteen covered that on his new album, and it's a delightful song. I'm sure we'll talk is about that. The album's called that, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. The, um, yeah. I, I've yeah. still not picked that up, because I think thirty ninety nine yeah. for an album at this point is a little pricey. But I didn't. to be fair, I didn't, I've dropped my um, glass of water on the floor. Um, I didn't realise that... Oh, it's all right. It's just the, um, the coaster. Um, you know when the water's perspired and it's kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I'll pick that up later. That's not a problem. That can stay in the edit. Um... But Bruce Springsteen's new album, I didn't realise, was a double LP. Because I'd, I'd had it sent to me, right. and it's like, right, here you go, there's the MP3 files. It's like, it's very, very weird, this. Rather have it on my, my record player, but... Yeah. yeah. Um, where was it? Uh, and Hank Snow's I'm Moving On, a country gem that Elvis and the band morph into a funky workout. In the Ghetto was procured especially for Elvis, and as the album's major hit single would help re-establish him as a contemporary talent. Long Black Limousine features a soulful cover full of sorrow and anger, while Burt Bacharach's Any Day Now is a stone-cold classic ballad. Suspicious Minds, recorded at the Memphis Sessions but not included on the album, returned Elvis to number one in late 1969. An America unhinged by war and assassinations wanted Elvis back as its rock icon. The Memphis Sessions established his relevance again. Now, that last line, it re-establishes his legacy. I, I don't think that's deniable i think that's very true i think that is essentially what happened with the memphis sessions isn't it yeah yeah um absolutely yeah it, it was a, a chain of events as you as the, actually that that uh that reading uh paints the scene pretty well i think you know the, the obviously the decade of the 60s was he was mired in making increasingly bizarre films uh and um yeah, things 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 change, and uh, actually, just before the, the TV special in '68, um, th- there was a slight. Um, you can you can kind of trace back the the the, cha- the appetite changing in Elvis a little bit. There's a he made a gospel album, recorded it in '66, and it was released in '67 called "How Great Thou Art," 
which someone said I read once was like the Sergeant Pepper of gospel music, which I think is a is a a really really brilliant quote. It's probably slightly misleading because <laughs> if you if you brought that up, I'm expecting to hear uh, you know <laughs> psychedelia, you'd be disappointed. But but the point being that um, he kind of dropped out in the mid sixties of recording any um, non soundtrack stuff at all. It just felt quite, I, I, I'd imagine, just quite disenchanted, disillusioned and just apathetic. And then um, got a new producer called Felton Jarvis, who really kind of reinvigorated him and got, got his mojo back. Um, so the How Great That Art album came out. And then on some of the soundtracks, there's some really cool bonus tracks. I always started beginning to revisit some R&B stuff like uh, Big Boss Man, High Heel Sneakers. I mean, so you can see the tide turning a bit, yeah. and then the TV special, of course, it, you know, was was a huge thing. And then, yeah, these Memphis sessions in '69. Um, suddenly, Elvis is. Kind of, I mean, his the, the extraordinary thing is that his voice changes dramatically. Yeah. Suddenly, you got this kind of really kind of distorted, raspy urgency, which you just don't get on the soundtrack albums. He kind of sounds quite bloated and kind of lazy and kind of weird on some of those mid '60s albums like Paradise Hawaiian Style and Harem Scarum and Frankie and Johnny. Uh, it's a bit he sounds strange um i like it but it's different but then suddenly bam he sounds just it's it's almost teenage again and kind of there's a there's a desperation and a and an urgency about it about it so this thing captures him this album from elvis and memphis captures him right at the peak of this really weird unexpected resurrection yeah definitely and i'm, I'm glad you mentioned that it sounds almost teenage of elvis his, his voice returns essentially it's um First time recording in Memphis in 14 years. And if you go back 14 years, you're looking at the likes of my my maths is not good. So 14 years, I'm, I'm really bad at 56, yeah. 57. So about the time of his debut and afterwards, which is where a lot of people fall in love with Elvis and his music. And I think it, it's yeah. it's certainly where I sort of thoroughly engaged with Elvis for the first time was, I think a couple of years ago when, when there was lockdown and stuff, I started working through the, the album book. And one of the very first albums in the book after Frank Sinatra's and the Wee Small Hours is Elvis Presley's self-titled piece, and having that yeah. as a double pairing just to to listen to those back to back was an absolute yeah. pleasure, you know. To yeah, to yeah. open with yeah. blue suede shoes is just wonderful, and I think fourteen years on, he kind of returns to that. He returns to his roots almost. He he figures out what he was wanting to say as an artist, and with a collection of delightful covers. And I think, especially this year, I've, I've sort of lean more into listening to cover albums and stuff like that. Um, mainly because there are a lot out there. I mean, obviously the, the most famous example beyond Elvis is probably uh, Johnny Cash's American recordings, which are just yeah. wonderful reworkings of songs and how lyrics can mean so that's, much. That's, that's, a nice little, that's a nice parallel there, yeah. isn't it? Because I mean, obviously uh, at that point it was right at the end of Cash's life. But I mean, I think again, there's, there's a similarity between these two things that you've got an artist who, almost is the victim of their success they're so freaking huge that almost what they do becomes almost irrelevant yeah. uh and then suddenly they, they get a sympathetic producer and, and the stars are in the right alignment and suddenly they can remind the world that actually there's a reason why they're elvis Presley. there's a reason why they're johnny cash because they're freaking yeah. brilliant um but that almost that becomes almost an irrelevancy these guys are so huge i guess probably i'm not a huge michael jackson fan actually but i i, I guess Michael Jackson devotees would probably say the same thing that you forget why Michael Jackson is Michael Jackson is because they're bloody yeah. great. I think it's and that becomes yeah, yeah. I think I think every artist, especially sort of the the ones that have sadly passed, like Elvis, like Johnny Cash, they they go through a period where it's not that they're not relevant; it's that they're no longer what the general public wants to see. It's they have rises yeah. and falls. It's you know 
you look at sort of modern bands just in general, they have that peak and then it's downhill. And then if they're lucky, they get that resurgence. They get that second wind. It happens to very yeah. few people, unfortunately. But with, yeah. with albums like from Elvis in Memphis, it's it's sort of a reminder that their talent, there we go. It's a reminder that their talent hasn't diminished. It's just the fact that their music is no longer what pop is. Um, and I think from Elvis in Memphis, I mean, obviously... I think generalities aside, it's a bloody good album. I think that's 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 yeah. the gist of it. It's a very very good album, possibly yeah. Elvis's best album. Um, yeah, it's stunning. It's a, a collection of delightful covers. Um, we mentioned a few in that mm. insert there. I love that when he went, where they mentioned the Hank. They had, is it Hank Snow or Hank Williams? The odd movie. Um, it is. Yeah. I'm reading through Hank Snow. Hank, Hank Snow. Snow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that that. You're right. That I'm moving on thing is really radical because I guess the original thing would have been a really kind of like a, a banjo led kind of country yeah. hoedown thing. And yet, as you say, with that American Sound Studios um, staff band, this thing turns into a kind of like a yeah, like almost like a Motown funk workout. Um, and this whole album and, and the, the two albums and the singles that recorded these sessions are dripping in yeah. that kind of stuff. I think Elvis is just so elated to be in this kind of musical setting and, and also physically the studios are really, really quite um, down at heel. Um, I actually stood, I, 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 as you know, I'm a huge Elvis fan. So I went to, went to Memphis and I stood on the site where the studio was. Um, it's not there anymore. It's torn down yeah. in the late eighties, I think, or early nineties. It's, it, it's a really kind of funky part of town. It's very, very close to Elvis's high school. So that must've, must've been on Elvis's yeah. mind. He really was physically geographically where he grew up, which must've been, kind of interesting for him but it, it was a really shabby area and part of town and given that he was kind of in hollywood and nashville and la this must have been like quite eyebrow raising for him and his entourage i think is this really where yeah. we are right now this is this is different but loose and kind of soulful and i think you can hear that. oh definitely, definitely hear i think it's Obviously, we can't just brandish it as, oh, it's Return to the Roots, because there's a lot more to it than that. There's a yeah. sort of rekindling of yeah. a passion that he'd lost through his films. Um, but mm. the bulk of Elvis from Elvis in Memphis is that this is a guy returning to his hometown. He's had a very illustrious and successful career. He's on the downward trend and has taken an active choice to fix it or try to. And it's a great success that yeah. Elvis in Memphis is a success because it's. I think it's one of the few genuine efforts where someone has taken a step back and thought, okay, this is how I make myself relevant again. This is how I make myself a more public option. Because Elvis was a huge, huge... I mean, I, I the archive clips, you know, the black and white, back in the day, the, mm. the mid-50s sort of performances on live TV, they, they are astounding. They are brilliant. And it's, yes, they still they still are utterly incendiary. And it's... Um... Yeah, some of those kind of black, black, black and white things on YouTube can, can seem quite quaint, but they they they're just they're just dazzling, aren't they? They are electrifying. They're amazing, punk, you know. And I suppose to to go from doing that, and then about twelve years later, you're starring in Live a Little, Love a Little, which is yeah. a bit of a a, a change of pace. I'm so and I think you that actually because that, that's um, yeah, I I I I am because I'm so, I'm so adorable, which I do love. I, well, I'm very familiar with all all 33 films, and actually I, I'm I'm quite partial to that one. The only yeah. reason is that 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 film is kind of from this era, so he looks incredibly cool. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. It's quite an obscure Elvis film to mention. It is, you know, it's it. I think it's it was that and Speedway came out the yeah. same year. Well, Speedway, Speedway was the so. Speedway was the last um, 
regular Elvis album before. So Speedway, yeah. Speedway came out, then the TV special album, and then this album. And so Speedway again, he looks really cool. He's starting to lose a bit of weight. He kind of he's, he's looking a bit more uh, vital again. Um, but yeah, when you compare Speedway to kind of this album, it really is a day and night scenario. And uh, yeah. Christ, it must have been thrilling for him and thrilling for his wife and thrilling for his <laughs> friends. I think Christ, you know, this is just. We're getting we're getting back, you know, because I, I think, um, it, you know, Elvis was a really intelligent, deep thinking character. And I think he was just there's a really poignant interview from 56 just when he was beginning. To, we just got his movie contract with Hal Wallace, which was a thrill for him because he wanted in his mind, he was going to be like a James Dean serious actor, like a Marlon Brando, yeah. James Dean. And there's a very poignant moment where he says, I, I, you know, somebody asked him if he'd be singing in the films. And he said, no, I won't be singing in the films, you know. Um, and so you can imagine how distraught he was. You know, I mean, he was one of the high, highest paid actors in Hollywood. Yeah. But so deeply, deeply miserable about what he was doing. And so I think when this period when things start turning around, he must have just been so, so satisfied that things, that he was recording stuff that he believed in again. Absolutely. And I think on Elvis's film career, though, I think it's, there, there's a slight tinge of tragedy to it in the sense that he kind of popularized the musician moves to cinema routine. Yeah. You know, just just a few years later, Frank Sinatra was in the Mancurian Candidate. A few decades after that, you've got David Bowie, Pop, Elvis Costello, all featuring in movies. Yeah. And and there's part of me that really does believe that if it weren't for the likes of Elvis and the early trendsetters, you know, Gene Kelly, that sort of thing, yeah. there would not be this transitional period where artists go, oh, I'm a bit bored of my music now. I can pop into the movies and just have mm-hmm. a few bit parts. But for Elvis, it was a real full-on 30-plus filmography as yeah. well as doing motion picture soundtracks, as well as doing recorded releases. Um, and I don't think there's a... What's the word for it? There's not a... a the, to do that much work in one year, like just one calendar year, if you can do three albums, three movies, interviews, <laughs> live recordings, live everything, that is a lot of work to do in one year. I mean, it's if we look at the year after from Elvis in Memphis, the kind of sandwich before and after, yeah. there was Let's Be Friends back in Memphis, and that's the way it is. There's yeah. three albums there. Not I mean, to I mention think the... there's a great interview from 1972 uh, during the Elvis and Tour movie, it's the, the last film, the last documentary in his lifetime. Yeah, and they're, they're asking. It's, it's really fascinating. It's, it's on YouTube. You can find it. it's about 35 minutes long, and um, they're, they're asking the usual kind of polite questions, and then then they're asking about the films, and Elvis just can't stop talking about it, and he just says, "I never." I never want anyone to think that I was, and that a lot of the stuff wasn't used in the film. I guess it yeah. wasn't to the Colonel Parker's his manager's taste. Um, but he was saying, you know, it must have seemed that I didn't care and that I was blasé and that I was throw, throwing this stuff all around and out. I really wasn't. I couldn't have cared more. I was physically ill with yeah. doing it, and and I think and he, but he says over and over again, it was really, really hard work. And as you say, you know, movies, Christ's sake, two or three movies a year. I mean, oh, that yeah. really is three or four months of getting up at six, seven a.m. And I mean, as a musician myself, I mean, obviously, uh, yeah, dismally unsuccessful compared to something like that. But I mean, just, you know, if someone, if even if someone's, if I'm having a photograph taken or someone's coming to see me at a gig to maybe book me for a gig, I it really, it's on my mind for a week before, you know, being filmed or being photographed is really, really stressful because yeah. you really, really feel like you, you don't want to look crap. You don't want to look like an arsehole and you want to look, you want to be, want people think that you're reasonably good at what you do so the pressure of being up in the morning 
doing films in, in, in the increasingly changing decade of the 60s where Dylan and the Beatles and all that stuff's going on and you're mired doing this crap. It must have been, I mean, an absolute Herculean feat to get out of bed and just do it. It's, it's an imagery thing as well, isn't it? It's kind of how the public perceive you is how they're going to think of you. You know, yeah. it's, it's why I think Johnny Cash, for instance, with the Man in Black stuff, that's such a a smart move, not just because it defines his performances, but because it, it gives people something to cling to when he's not present on screen. Yeah. The Man in Black, oh yeah, Johnny Cash. It's a, it's, a, it's a brand thing, isn't it? It's a brand thing, yeah. And I think it's, especially now, artists have to be really protective of that brand. Mm. Not, not because it might just be an upset or it might just sort of fall apart, but because that's what's inherent to their music now. You know, if you take yeah. someone like Yardak, Wet Leg, Sam Fender, there are inherent sort of colloquialisms to their own act, to their own attires, to their outfits, to their outpouring of, of social media presence that is kind of similar to what Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, Bob Dylan had to do. Mm. Um, I think the way Elvis did it, obviously, is quite different to what, what is happening now because Elvis didn't have Twitter. But, you know, in, in, the, in the late 60s especially, it's like you mentioned in that 72 interview, there was a real desire for Elvis not, not to be... No, I don't think there's a desire to be relevant again. I think there's a desire to sort of put to bed rumours that he wasn't really working hard because he absolutely mm. was. I mean, yeah. just before from Elvis in Memphis, he had um, Elvis Sings Flaming Star, which yeah. is a, 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 a really nice album. Yeah. Um, but as far as from Elvis in Memphis itself goes, I, I don't even know where to start. It is an album of just sincere quality. Um, yeah. There is not a track on there that I couldn't listen to over and over. It's no. it's such a delightful piece, and it's it's very sentimental. It's very it's it's very moving, and it, it's kind of expectedly so because this is Elvis on his comeback, and it's wonderful. It really is wonderful. Yeah, I I I, I really um, the something about music from the twentieth century as well. I think particularly. I mean, you mentioned the uh, Sinatra album in the Wee Small Hours, which is one of my favorite albums of all time as well. Yeah. And I think, and this record has, I think there's a there's something about the nature of, of, of how music was recorded in the 20th century, that the fact that almost essentially, you're, well, you're hearing an event because a lot of it is happening in, in, in a room at the same time. And again, at the risk of sounding kind of hackneyed and cliche, that, I think that goes a long way. It does, it doesn't does. It? It's kind of, it's not a live recording, it's different from a live recording, but I think when a studio space has to be booked it's almost like going for a soundstage and making a movie. There's a commitment. There is kind of 15 musicians turning up. There's a there's a, a producer that's going to be there. You blah blah blah. You know what time your car's going. You you probably dress up quite well for it. You turn up and you do it. And there's an adrenaline about a project. Yeah. And I think, I guess you know, with kind of doing stuff in home studios and things, can bring out amazing amazing stuff, of course. But there's it's a very different vibe, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I mean, it's I think it, it it's it's telling that. You know, from Elvis and Memphis, which is quite common at the time, was to record an album rather quickly. So yeah, and I think oh, and in the case, probably two albums and, and and enough stuff for singles as well. Yeah, all in like over over a couple of weeks, whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I'm I've always been quite jealous of that workmanship, where it's the yeah. ability to do that much in that short period. Yeah. Essentially, sets you up for the rest of the year. But even then, you may <laughs> be finished it. for the rest of the year. You're still doing work to prepare for the next year, and it's. I mean, from Elvis in Memphis, recorded January to February, it was released in June, which is yeah. insane. That's six months. Um, yeah. But 
it, it is mad. It is amazing. I think it's rather telling of the time as well. I mean, you look at someone like Bob Dylan, who released two or three albums a year. You look at the Beatles, yeah. who were yearly putting out something that sounded so sonically different every year. It's, yeah. it's it, There's a real intensity to that work, and I think the, mm. a, a lot of the albums have sort of diminished that intensity. I don't think from Elvis in Memphis has that diminished intensity. I still think it's a very... Also because, because everyone is physically in, in one room yes, at, at the same absolutely. time. Absolutely. There's, there's not much to do, is there? You, no, you record no. it until you can. You can sweeten up that overdub bits and pieces, but effectively, it's all there. It's done and dusted. Yeah. Whereas now, I mean, I've got shit. I've got stuff on my hard drive. I've been... I don't know if I can swear on this podcast. Oh, yeah, that's fine. I've been, I've been fucking around with for 15 years. Literally. Yeah. You know, it's it's maddening and it's annoying, but there's something about the kind of like, okay, you know, we're we're going in, we're recording it. Well, of course, it can come out in six months' time because it's done. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's recorded. It's on tape. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I suppose it. I mean, not not a reflection on what happens now, but it's mm. we're seeing a little bit of a resurgence in that. I remember when the Mercury Awards were on, all the interviews that were done with the artists that have been nominated. Um, yeah, they they were asked, oh, what have you got in the works? What have you got upcoming albums wise? It's like it's six months on from them releasing the first, and they already said, oh, we've got the finished one, the second one's ready to go. We're not releasing it yet, but it's done. Yeah, and it's it's that workmanship that's coming back, and I think there's a lot of it that comes from an understanding that the spotlight isn't for, forever; it is not permanent. There are very rare cases where an artist will survive in that spotlight for the whole of their period mm. as an active musician. I think the only yeah. few I can think of are Paul McCartney, Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen. You know, that's mm. that sort of caliber, which yeah. is, you know, well, well, not once in a lifetime, three times in a lifetime, I suppose, for those three. But yeah, it's such a rarity that an artist can stay relevant and also release consistent music as well. Um, yeah, which is as intense as it sounds, but I'm sure it's a bit more intense on the other side of it. I don't have to go into a recording studio and write up 12 tracks for a new album. Um, yeah, and I think that to me is one of the great benefits of From Elvis in Memphis. This is procuring songs from other artists that are going to work well with Elvis's vocal range. He's got quite the range on him. He's got quite the selection of songs here. Um, yeah. A, a lovely standard six six songs on the A side, six songs on the B side, which is honestly just a classic. It's lovely to have it like that. Um, mm. But to open with something like Wearing That Love Done Look and then lead it up. Well, it sounds so urgent, doesn't it? I keep using the word urgent, but that, that it, it kicks up that kind of Hammond organ and... Yeah, and he bursts out. I had to leave town for a little while, and it's just, it's just, it, 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 it must have stopped people in their tracks because it, it's just like, wow, that, that, yeah, it, it demands and commands attention. Yes, and that kind of blue-eyed soul. I mean, yeah, it, it's just another universe from like, a track from Speedway. Like, I mean, God, yeah, things like Five Sleepy Heads, He's Your Uncle, Not Your Dad, just kind of Hollywood candy floss, and suddenly this thing comes out, and it's. I always think. It, there's, it's kind of there's almost a kind of Motowny vibe on the. There on is the yes, oh definitely. Things, it's um, which is really really thrilling. And the, the funky bass lines and it's just, I don't know. I yeah, it's I, I did actually put a, a thing on an Elvis forum um uh, that I that I read and very rarely write anything on because these forums are like a minefield. Yeah, you know, people just start arguing and, oh, and attacking each other. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I haven't got an appetite for that crap at all. <laughs> but I, I I did once ask a question, and I've got millions of Elvis books. I. And the question was, did Elvis ever meet Marvin Gaye? Um, and there was no conclusive answer. There's never a record of it um, that I can find. But I, I imagine, because Elvis in the late 60s and early 70s, Marvin Gaye in the late 60s, early 70s, oh, yeah. obviously what's going on and let's get it on. There's, there's, there's a kind of, there's a little bit of a synergy there. 
There is. And obviously, it's, Marvin, it's, Marvin Gaye didn't throw away his career like Elvis did in the 60s, but yeah. in terms of kind of, you know, changing his direction, you know, in, in, in the early 70s and late 60s, um, and kind of rediscovering his soul a bit. That, that, I would have, that would have been a fascinating conversation between Elvis and Marvin. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's. I'm, I'm yeah. glad you brought that up as well because it's kind of. I, I always find it quite difficult to remind myself that you know th- th- there's a vast expanse of artists, and mm. however relevant they are at the periods they're in, it's amazing to think that in in the late '60s you had the breakup of the Beatles, Elvis Presley, Bob Dylan, Johnny Cash, etc., etc., etc. It's amazing just to to piece that together as one period when so much came yeah. from it. It just I, I can't get my head wrapped it. It's it's yeah, as intense as it sounds, and it, again that urgency you mentioned, there is a real urgency on this record. I think not just from yeah. how they're playing, how they're vocalizing the, these covers, but from just the the feeling behind the recording, the reason for recording it, the the return home. It's it's a very detailed and deep album, and I think a lot of that does come yeah, from is. him heading home. Yeah, and th- th- there's something about the stuff that's recorded in that, in that studio too, though. But uh, obviously, the Dusty and Memphis album, which I think is that just before this album, it's very similar. It is, yeah, 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 Um It the the chemistry between the players and just the sound of the album. Um, as you were saying, though, you do hear it's really peculiar because you you don't I don't get tired of this listening to this stuff, yeah. and that you do the, uh, the it's just. It's like an album, a bit like what's going on, obviously, worlds apart in some respects, but you don't get bored of the records. It's very hard to define why that would be because, but you don't, but there's different things to hear. Yeah. And I guess essentially you're hearing, again, it's an, you're hearing an event. Yes. And there's all those weird anomalies and chemistries and, and things that happen in, in something real that, that just constantly kind of regenerates and never, it doesn't sound the same way twice which is really weird and i can't tell you why that would be but it's 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 a fresh thing isn't it it's like a classic film it's like yes it's never quite this maybe it's split down to where where you are that day i was just about yeah i think it it definitely comes down to where you find yourself i think that's one of the great things about finding new music and great albums is that there are always those that will just sort of fuse to a certain moment in your life and then it's sort of yeah i mean for, for me that album will always be different class by pulp which is essentially yeah. the, the record that got me through three years at uni i would pop that on in the yeah, morning yeah. and just have it rattle them through i'd say fusion me like jarvis cocker that would be i mean that that's that's such a huge thing in your life it, it is that's i mean to, to the point where yeah. that definitely the influence of the music went further it was sort of style choices from yeah. what i should read what i should do and it's like Music has that great impact, and I think one of the great things about Elvis, for instance, is that that impact is great. I think there's an impact that, I mean, any any artist can have that impact, but I think it's rather telling that from Elvis in Memphis has that universal impact. I think it's a very well I, I, through playing 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 music at the Savoy Hotel for twenty years. I've met Bacharach and I've met oh, Paul wow. McCartney, and they both talked about Elvis, yeah. which is really so. Yeah, Paul McCartney wanted to talk about when he met Elvis, which is mind blowing, and then yeah, but Bacharach, we talked about. The, the uh, any day because Elvis has a great version of any day does, now on this does. record, which is probably I mean, I mean it's it's the coolest, but I mean it, it that that is the the version. If you don't, if anyone listening to this podcast hasn't heard Elvis singing it any day now, my God, it's mind blowing. It's it's like a it's like a movie in a song. It is, it is, and I'm glad you mentioned that as well because it, it, you know Long Black Limousine 
has its own yeah. inferences there with the title yeah, alone. Um, yeah. But it's, I'm glad you brought Burt Bacharach up because that is probably one of my favourite tracks on the album. But it's it's yeah. strange that my, I, I suppose my my generation, because we grew up with Austin Powers, will, you know, yeah. Burt Bacharach yeah. from Austin Powers. But then it was, the, yeah. the first Burt Bacharach album I actually listened to was Paint It From Memory with um, Elvis Costello, mm-hmm. which is, I love, I love that record. It's wonderful. I love that record. Beautiful. Is that is that in the book? No, it's not. Right. There are, I mean, the the long shot project thing for this is that I'm going to mark a few albums. I've already, I think, I've removed three albums so far because (laughs) they're in the yeah, they're in the same bin. Not not because they're bad per se, but because there's either a better album that represents the genre or a better album that represents the artist. And it's for right. Elvis Costello. There is one that I think is brutal youth. I just get rid of it. Get painted yeah, yeah. in memory on, and that'd be so much. Yeah, better. and also there's so much again. It's just, it's a great thing for some for you guys to chat about yeah. because it, yeah, you've got you've got meeting of two kind of worlds, haven't you? In that it album. is wonderful. I mean, it's I, I always think Toledo is just a wonderful song, but bizarrely, that is my yeah, favorite song. It's from the wonderful. Album. It's so so good. I mean, that's, yeah, God, that's it. And there's something about the sound of Elvis, Elvis Costello's voice on that. It's just, it's, yeah, a couple of the tracks on that album um, become a little bit, and I'm sure Elvis Costello, if I could ever, ever met him, and I never ever, I'm sure he feels the same way. There are some, a couple of kind of like stylistic choices on the album, the way they're arranged. I, I think Elvis must, Costello must have thought a bit enough. Yeah. Some of the choral sounds and some of the guitar sounds on some of the other tracks are a bit mushy. Mm. Later on in that record, but Toledo, uh, there's four or five things on there that are just absolutely kind of cornerstone standards. He was the um, Elvis Costello was the first ever gig I went to. Um, no, wow, yeah. okay, wow. It's, um, it's, yeah. it's kind of an embarrassing story because I'd not been to a gig until I was twenty, and just yeah. before lockdown, I went to see Elvis Costello at Sunderland Empire. It, it was great. It was mm. really good, and that's kind of it, yeah, it yeah. clicked something in my mind. It's like I should go to more of these gig things. Um, and from there, yeah. it's just capitulated. It's exploded into seeing anything I can. Um, I've got to yeah. go to Bridlington next year. I don't know. If, I don't know how to get to Bridlington, but well, who's who's, uh, who's Pope, playing there? Uh, the opening of their tour. Oh, cool. um, wow! Yeah, and then to see them at the back that's end. Actually, that's going to be. That's going to be. I mean, I remember um, seeing Brian Wilson a few times uh, of Beach Boys yeah. fame, and I, I guess the Pulp thing will be a kind of similar vibe where you'll have a room full of people, quite. Pretty emotional. Yeah, I mean, it's because not you. You've got a personal story. To it is, and I think it's part of me is you know I, I saw Jarvis Cocker live with his new new outfit, and it was very good. Jarvis, um, but I never yeah. thought I would see Pulp live. You know, I've, I think a, yeah. a lot of it, especially now that I'm looking back on music like Elvis, like Johnny Cash, is it, it's kind of making peace with that you'll never see them live. But it's I've made yeah. peace that I'll never see Paul McCartney live. I'm very jealous of my two pals who went to Glastonbury and saw him live. Um, but yeah. I, my concession is I've seen Bob Dylan live. That'll do. Instead of it's like a trade off. Oh my god, I, I, I haven't seen Dylan. How, he how was, he that? was incredible, like genuinely fantastic. Yeah. It was um, it's quite the recent thing at the play. It, I went and saw him at uh, the Bonus Arena in Hull. Um, right. But it was it really was stunning. Obviously, he didn't do any of the classics, but you're not there for the classics. He he's a was he basically doing the new album? Uh, yeah, Rough and Rowdy Ways, which is yeah. stunning. Had amazing reviews that yeah, yeah, it was um really, really delightful. But he also did, you know, a couple of covers from New Morning. He did a bit of Blonde on Blonde. It was really, really. Did you get that? Did you get that thing that I got when I went to see Brian Wilson at the Festival Hall, I think, in London? And um, 
you just sit there and you think, I'm sitting right at the very back, literally the, 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 the worst seats you could imagine. And I, I just, um, you know, having grown up with my dad playing Beach Boys Greatest Hits, I just couldn't freaking believe I was in the same room yeah. as the guy who, as that brain. And that's almost worth the price of admission oh, alone, yeah. isn't it? It's like, I'm in the same to, room as Brian Wilson. This I, is, I think to, to, to be in the, the same room as someone that hasn't not only influenced you, but has influenced the entire room with their music, with their thoughts, with their process. Yeah. It's just, it, it really is stunning. It, and I think also in, in this strange 21st century world, I think also perhaps, uh, this is so boring to say this, and, I'm, and we're all getting tired of it, but also off the back of the pandemic and things, I think these genuine real experiences um, are even more valid yeah. because you know, we're increasingly in a kind of digitally, you know, weird AI world where you can sit, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I grew up where, you know, you, you, if you 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 watch the programme on TV at a certain time, if you missed it, you'd never see yeah. it again. Literally. Uh, you know, obviously now that's, uh, obviously it's, we're in a completely different universe now, but but the, how amazing that there's still, you know, that there's still so much value to an almost supernatural degree to seeing an actual person in the flesh. And you can never, ever, ever, no matter how many crappy holograms, you know, you can see Elvis live with the, shitty London Philharmonic Orchestra, Christ, avoid those albums at all costs. You know, that means nothing compared to actually seeing yeah. Bob Dylan in, in a room. That's, that's it, it is, and I think it's... Or 85 pounds. <laughs> yeah, it was... Um, that, yeah. I mean, to be fair, I think it was it, it was money well spent in the sense of, I don't think I'd ever see Bob Dylan again, because I don't think he'll tour again. No. Not not in not in the no. east of England. Um, but it was, it really was intense. It really was quite quite wonderful um and i think a lot of that comes from the presence of an artist i think there are certain artists that no matter Mm. what they do will always have that presence i do think elvis is one of them obviously when he did his two was after from elvis in memphis there was a change of pace to what he was perceived as i think there was you know the change in costume the change in style you know he quiffed the hair bigger and bigger and bigger um went to hawaii like nice little gigs over there and i think it's at the core yeah. of it, though, I think this this be the period as well. That I mean, that the you know this was, I mean, this was a really interesting transition stage as well because he's he's quite kind of mod in this period. Obviously, it's it's, it's still about two years before the big jumps yes, and stuff. Yeah. Um, he's in, I mean, he's he's incredibly slim. He's in great shape, and um, yeah, this is this is a very special period. Uh, it, it is, yeah. It is extraordinary. I think that it speaks to the legacy of the album as well. I think to look at sort of the greatest albums of the 60s, it would be very easy to include from Elvis in Memphis. I think it's just without question one of the the best albums to come out of that era, which is, you know, pretty high talk considering the quality that came out, not just throughout the 60s, but in that year alone. You had the likes of Abbey Road, you had, you know, it was a busy time for music. Um, And it's it it really is one of the defining Elvis albums. I I, I do truly think it's his best album. Um, I I I adore it. It's really truly good. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at the what else came out that year, sort of how music was changing to, you know, you've got the Velvet Underground, you've got King Crimson, the the likes of those were you know making waves. They were starting to influence. They were starting to essentially beckon in that new stage of music. Um, and for for yeah. artists that kind of was steadfast in their sort of not defense of their sound but sort of their their trust in that knowing what works for them knowing what works for them and making sure that they sort of ride that wave 
Johnny Cash did it, Bob Dylan did it, etc., yeah. etc. Et For Elvis to release from Elvis in Memphis, which is essentially a country blues album with bits of rock and roll laced into it, yeah. when the likes of Hot Rats were out, Led Zeppelin was out. It it, yeah. it really is quite quite brave to do that. You know, you're going up against Let It Bleed, yeah, you're going exactly. up against Sly and the Family Stone. Scott Forer just released. It's stunning. Yeah, yeah, Mind it is. Blowing. It is, but it's. I think there's there's a, a bulk of it does come from. Again, we we've spoke about it where Elvis found himself and the the resurgence that it brought. How how do you think that impacted the the later stages? That sort of you know into the sixties, the the last. Joe, when I said mind blowing, I, I went completely blank. I just remember what I was going to say. <laughs> if you if you um, if you look at the What's really fascinating about Elvis as well, if you look at his contemporaries hmm. from the mid fifties, uh, you know, so you've got Joe, obviously Jerry yeah. Lewis, uh, guys like Carl Perkins, uh, Chuck Berry. Uh, can I think of one more? Uh, lost them died. Eddie Cochran and Buddy Holly. Uh, anyway, those yeah. Little Richard. Those guys were really stuck, basically, on a fifties Americana cabaret yeah. circuit. So you'd see Jerry Lewis playing um in 1970 and yeah it's going to be greatest hits i mean i know he had a, a, a he did a kind of raw country and western vibe too but basically those guys from what from what i understand were very very much mired and anchored in their what made them famous you know it's going to be if you see chuck berry's gonna be lucille johnny be good blah 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 if you look at the track listing of of uh, you know when Elvis returns to vegas you know he kind of throws away his hits. Hound Dog and maybe Bruce Wade Choose and uh, Can't Help Falling in Love. They're kind of like yeah. one and a half minutes. And Elvis is, what, what Elvis is doing on stage is where he's at then. It's really, so he almost, you know, almost despite himself was a real, had well, an artist of integrity. He just couldn't do, he couldn't help but be himself and do what he wanted to do. So, you know, obviously Elvis is a huge, huge draw on the live stage, but, you know, people weren't getting you know, Elvis's greatest hits for the millions of them. He didn't. He really didn't do many of them. He did what he wanted to do there and then, which is like big Vegas ballads, um, a few things from this period, of course. And hardly touched anything from the Hollywood period at all. Um, and just often did. Like, you know, I mean, he did a great version of the George Harrison Beatles yes, song "Something" yeah. from uh, Abbey Road. Uh, and so he just he sang what he wanted to sing, and that really is different from a lot of his yeah. contemporaries who felt like they had to do the kind of 25 things that people that were their greatest hits. He, he Elvis didn't really do that. He did kind of keep it, moving. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it speaks a lot about his integrity as an artist that was still moving with contemporary pieces because nine times out of yeah. ten, if you go and see a musician that's been around for a while, the end of their show, the encore, is going to be those hits. It's going to be what you essentially yeah. paid the money to see. You know, Elvis Costello ended it with Pump It Up. Yeah. That, it was expected... But it's yeah. it's good that there is a balance between the hits and the contemporary works, which is essentially what mm. tour is for. I, I thought just to link it back to Bob Dylan, yeah. he didn't play any of the hits. He didn't play like a Rolling Stone. He didn't play Mr. Tambourine Man. There was no reason for him to do so. There was, you know, the, no. the body of work he had that's in the past few years is intense. It's incredible. The same for Elvis. It's yeah. why bother delving into the past when you've got works that are here and now and relevant and current that are prepared for the live yeah. stage and it's and also he, he just uh, he just uh, he just wasn't he didn't want to sing yeah. Dog, if you, the, you know or, or, or Blue Suede Shoes it's like he just yeah he, he 
he was really into kind of big ballads, really, by the kind of mid seventies. Big, yeah, and yeah, Christ, and, and it's uh, or funk, you know, funkier things like Polk Salani, you know, deep south kind of funkier stuff. But it's just, it's just, it, it very chameleon like and very, very different from if you, yeah, you know, God, when you compare a, even when it's a, when he first went back to Vegas in sixty nine, you know that that album, which I think it's just called, what's it called? I think it is called. Uh... Uh, I've got it here. Uh, Elvis oh, in yeah. person, that's right. So there's a live album. Uh, that's really interesting because that's kind of very similar. Very Elvis is in very similar voice to this record, of course. It's the, 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 from the same year. Very similar in spirit to the comeback uh, TV special. So there he is doing blistering rock and roll versions of some of his early hits. He'll sing Hound Dog and it sounds a bit like you might expect Hound Dog to sound 10 years after yeah. it was recorded. Um, but that, that that drops away really quickly. So from in 1970, when he's back in Vegas, suddenly he's covering like Neil Diamond stuff. He's carrying covering Credence Clearwater Revival. He's covering Beatles. You know, almost anything but his own hits. It's really mind blowing, and that's that's really uh, it is. Yeah, I, no, absolutely, it is inspiring, and yeah. I think it's part of that comes from where an artist finds themselves, but also what they see in that song. We we spoke about our own connections to music. Me with Pulp, you with Elvis the artists themselves are going to have that connection as well. It's going to remind them of a period of a time that they may not want to revisit. And it's, it's always, um, yeah, the Donny Emerson is always who I I'm reminded of with stuff like this with dream and wild, where that album wasn't touched for 30 years. It didn't get a resurgence or anything. It didn't get seen by the public until a reporter, for, I think it was the New York post essentially interviewed him, asked him about it. And then it exploded from there. It, it's difficult yeah. to look back that far and continue performing those songs, especially if they were written at a very emotional period and they have connotations or meanings or messages that are no longer part of that life. And I think for, if, if Elvis was yeah. going to rattle out Blue Suede Shoes and Hound Dog every night, he would become sort of just a, a shell. It wouldn't it wouldn't be worth seeing him because yeah. it's just, you know, oh, it's Elvis's greatest hits tour, which I, I think more and more we're seeing yeah. artists sort of not shy away from playing the hits, but certainly looking back on their discography, going for those little rarities, those extra moments that not many people may have heard, which is always just a, a treat. I think there's genuinely an argument to be made for artists that play their unknown tracks being better than that of just the successful yeah. ones. Because I, I have no doubt... Well, even like, you know, Mike, Mike Love, who's like, yeah. for the, again, from the Beach Boys, is like, is like, you know, Mr. Greatest Hits and don't screw the formula kind of guy. Even he is now seeing the value in, you know... If you see the Beach Boys live in a Berkeley Commons, it's also yeah. Mike Love and Bruce Johnson and, and those other guys who aren't the Wilson brothers, obviously. Um, and that really is a kind of Kokomo good vibrations, I get around kind of thing. But even he yeah. puts deep cuts in now because, you know, there's a lot of commercial creative stock. We're living in that period where people really do can explore the, the murkier corners of catalogues. And it's, um, yeah, as, as we said earlier, it's a great time to be a music. Oh, fan. definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's. The, the yeah. fact that um, I mean, it speaks to what you mentioned about sort of the how immediately we can access music and artists now is that mm. it's so much easier to find their deep cuts. You don't have to go raking through yeah. a charity shop to find you know Johnny Ninety Nine on record. Yeah. It's great that we can just jump on and hear yeah. it. And it's you know especially sort of now that I work from home, it's kind of there's a lot of time to kill. There's a lot of days and hours to fill, mm. and to do that is just to listen to music. So I've just essentially being deep diving artists that I wouldn't have had the time to or 
it, it's been stunning. Yeah. And it's you know it's it's difficult to convince people that one of the best songs of all time is from a Roland S. Howard album in the mid nineties, but it is. Um, <laughs> it's it, it really, and I think Elvis especially. You know, the amount of soundtrack work, but beyond that, the studio work, the live albums. There is such a a deep dive into his work, and I think a lot of that will stem from hearing this album. I think the legacy of this is sort of it, to call it entry point sounds a bit insulting, but it's it is the perfect place to start because it's such a varied album. It gives you a bit of everything. It gives you his country charms. It gives you his more pop-oriented focus. It gives you very reflective covers. Overall, I think it is a, a remarkable album. It's very unique. Um, there's that great... Um, there's, a, that, there's a quality to some of Elvis's um, most kind of uh, intense stuff that has a very hypnotic, uh, dreamlike quality. And there's a great um, a great example of that on this record, uh, his version of yes. I'll Hold You In yeah. My Heart, uh, with that, which is actually Elvis sitting down at the piano, which is usually, for deep Elvis fans, if Elvis is playing piano or guitar... Is usually a kind of cosmic signal that something special is going to happen here because he, although he's a really, really, um, uh, he was he was a very able um, rhythm guitarist and a pretty good piano player. He he felt very um, insecure about doing so, and after uh, aside from the kind of early sun stuff, he very rarely plays. But um, he's playing piano on that cut, and that usually means that he's really, really, really invested. Yeah. And this song goes on for eight. I mean, it's like four and a half. I don't know if I have glasses on. It's about four and a half. Yeah, it's four and four and a half minutes long. And it's like an old country weep, yeah. weep, weepy kind of song. And you hear the band keep on thinking they're going to stop it. And he doesn't. He just keeps going round and round and round, almost in love with the sound that his own voice is making. And it's um, it's it's those little moments being an Elvis fan that you kind of pick up and the hairs on the back of your neck stand up because you, you're aware that this is there's something else going on here. And, and that... that and even the same in Elvis movies, there are you, there's very few Elvis films that don't have a little moment in them when you think, yeah. "Shit, that's Elvis. That that's actually Elvis there." And that's a quality he had as an artist that, despite sometimes, um, you know, or in spite of strange surroundings, he just steps up and something else goes on. And I'll hold you in my heart is that moment on that song, which is on that on this album that is just very different. It, you know, it's, this is an album full of quite tight, quite arranged little tracks and then suddenly you get this really freewheeling four and a half minute jam that's yeah. something different Country I suppose that answers the, the question I was just about yeah. asked there was kind of just to, to wind it down is what what's the best track on this album which is a very difficult question well, that's definitely I mean that's definitely that's definitely probably one of the most extraordinary performances I mean I, I, I probably like you and probably like everyone who listened to this and is a big music yeah. fan it changes every day I mean in the ghetto would be the most famous performance in the album I suppose um, we've already talked about any day now, which I yeah. just think is a masterpiece. I do have a real leaning for Ooh, Trebles on yes. a Gravel Road, which is a real motorbike kind of thing. Uh, but only the strong survive, though. Is I, I think I've, I've it? managed to whittle it down to three, and it always changes every time I listen. <laughs> yeah. But it is—it's only the yeah. strong survive. Gentle on my mind, and any day now. Are the, the... Oh, gentle on my mind. I mean, I remember. So as a kid, again, I had that. The first time I heard Elvis oh, do that was yes. on the cassette version of that album. And um, again, again, we keep on saying filmic and, and movie like, but that oh, yeah. that's like a film, gentle in my mind. And the amazing thing is, when you hear like someone like Dean Martin singing it or whatever, it, it, it it's okay, but it's kind of it's just a slightly yeah. elder statesman of pop singing something that's slightly trendy. But 
you never get that with Elvis. You don't. You don't think, oh, Elvis is jumping on a kind of on the, the slightly younger, long-haired yeah. bandwagon and trying to be hip. It, it it works, and he invests himself in it, and it it, it, it it's believable. And that's that's I think the the crux of this stuff that it's believable. It, may, it it's not like you know incongruous, like yeah, Dean Martin singing or a Frank Sinatra. I mean, I love some of those later sixties albums, but sometimes Sinatra singing like his version of of, of yeah. something or whatever, uh, or. Um, slightly looser pop from the mid 60s Jimmy Webb stuff it, it, it can be a bit weird but or awkward like it like a, like a, like an uncle dancing at a wedding but you never get that with Elvis it's always it's always kind he, of he never feels like he's a member of that old guard he, he always feels like he's very new you're completely right at, no yeah. you, you, you nailed it that's that's it it always feels yeah it feels very I mean yeah, it sounds like a generic term but it feels very real but I think a lot of that comes from yeah how not desperate, but how really hard-working Elvis was at this point to go, I'm going to make another successful album. Um, yeah. I suppose it's a redundant question at this point. Is is there a, an album that should replace this one on the list? Wait, you mean... It, it, well, I think... Um, I mean, I love the, the follow-up. The next Memphis album, yeah. back in Memphis, I think is equally good, uh, which is extraordinary, because that was kind of cold from things that the, the producer and Elvis thought weren't quite so obviously great. <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome because again, it's just Elvis with this house band with that voice. So that that blows. There's some great yeah. things on back in Memphis. I mean, Stranger in My Own Hometown is exquisite. You'll think of me is mind-boggling. Uh, yeah. So anything from this period, I like. Um, I mean, Elvis isn't really regarded as, as an album artist, of course. But I mean, back in Memphis, I think it's yeah, it is, yeah. it's already, a... isn't it? That's a, that's that's a, that's a very very different Elvis, but compelling in different ways. So there's a few albums that I think are as yeah. essential. I mean, there'll well, always but, be space um, to add more because yeah. what I've found is I'm yeah. replacing albums, but I don't quite have a suitable replacement ready for it. So I'm just recommending something at the time. Yeah. Um, I think I, I took a Nirvana yeah. album off, um, and I, I've just. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. Just I love get you rid of it. Cults. They've got it's three brilliant. on there already. You don't need MTV unplugged. Yeah. And two of their albums, just hack and slash. Yeah, Kurt. I mean, the the, the whole it. point of me starting <laughs> yeah. this project was I was genuinely shocked at what was missing from the book, and yeah. the sort of even the artists that are on there. You know, I I, I don't have anything against CeeLo Green, but I, whether or not he's made one of the f- defining albums of our generation, I'm I'm not too sure on. Um, yeah, sure. But a lot of it comes from there are yeah. artists on there that rightly so are on there, but the albums that they've chosen are just strange, you know. Bob Dylan's a great example. They've yeah. got you know his early period. There's no All Mercy. There's no. I mean, one of the recordings is a, a bootleg tape, which is pretty good choice, but it's telling that Desire isn't on yeah. there. You know the the. Yeah, it's it's interesting these things. They they're all period pieces and. Um... Sometimes um, I'm trying to think of the what, what example I'm trying to. That's right. When when you see a, a movie, you know it's very yeah. interesting to look at the time it was made uh, because that told you as much about the period it was. Yeah, you know, it's been made in as as the film itself. Um, and the same with these kind of compilations and these lists. It's kind of you know, kind of you know these these kind of swathes yeah. of thought come and go, don't they? So there's, a, there's you know there's a period where where the Dylan the the, the so called religious albums that Dylan made in the. Yeah. Late seventies, I suppose, like Save uh, and Shot of Love. I can't remember what one's called. Yeah, Shot of Love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're, they're really, really maligned and really slagged off. And now people are actually saying, yeah, actually they're really great. And and, and very oh, similar yes. Van Morrison as well. There's kind of the eighties stuff really got a bit kind of mind, body, spirit 
a new new uh, new age people were saying you know in the 80s yeah. were saying we're an embarrassment now they're actually no they're freaking great you know so some yeah there'll be things that are real really bizarre in in, in this book i'm sure that now we. i mean it's uh, to be quite honest i mean if, if we take dylan as an example i would genuinely put good as i've been to you in there because it's such a beautiful yes, yeah, set of again yeah. covers of traditional songs and it's it really focuses in on yeah. not a period but a part of Dylan that isn't expressed in his other albums, which is essentially his quality as a guitarist. And it's it's just not found in any of the other albums that are yeah. on the list. So I've made it my mission to just sort this out. Yeah. Also I wonder that also, you know, the, the I think it's a trio now of of, of albums of kind of American yes, songbook yeah. stuff that he's brought out. Um they're, they're kind of they're a bit of an anomaly now and they're kind of politely ignored but I mean the, the fact yeah. is his vocals it's... are amazing on them they're, they're, they're extraordinarily almost embarrassingly good and I, I mean, we all grew up we've all learned to th- say that Dylan is a disastrous live singer but no more I've seen clips of him singing live, live recently yeah. which, is, which are really impressive but also the, the, those are one of those albums will be regarded as as really interesting in 15 years time I guess we're just too close to it right now. Yeah, to, I think that, really that's one of the you, not not to go too far from Elvis, but the the more recent editions yeah. of the albums on this list, I think, are very hmm. knee jerk. They're very oh yeah, shit, that's from this period. Get it on the yeah. I mean, there, there are certain yeah. choices where they've kind of yeah. you know, I mean, LCD Sound Systems' new album is on there. Whether it's not whether or not it's their yeah. you know best work, I mean, they've got albums on that list already. There are some slights that have just sort of they've not mentioned the original, they've not mentioned the debut album, but they have put American Dream on. One of the many examples of sort of musicians being represented but not correctly. It's it's a strange Yeah, one. sure. Yeah, yeah. And it might well be the guy the guy just wasn't yeah. so familiar I with I mean it, certain, it's a collection genres, I think of about a hundred journalists have come together and said this is the definitive thousand. Um oh, okay. but right. it's you know, I I'd I'd make the right. case for so many albums that aren't on there, you know, half of Nick Cave's discography Bob Dylan's triplicate, these sort of albums that need yeah. to just be included. Yeah, I, I'm totally. too far into yeah. this project yeah. now to realise that I should just do an alternative 1001 albums list rather than hacking and slashing my way through someone's very yeah. lengthy and body of work. Yeah. <laughs> I've spent over a decade doing this. Yeah. But it's too late now. This is like episode 13. That, that's yeah. it. That is, that's it now. But it's no, perfect. Deep, it's... um. That, wrap, that about yeah. wraps it up. Um, have you got any sort of social media presence oh, you want great. to plug up? I've managed to learn how to do like a a rolling wheel at the bottom where it'll put your social media, which is great. Yeah. Quite a little, what, 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 probably the only thing I'd, I'd... Well, I've got an Instagram page and I've got a little a podcast called The Imaginary Records Shop. Yes, so absolutely. I'll you stick that, that in that the description of all this. Yeah. That, 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 I mean, if I've if I got one more listener for that, that'd be, that would double my list, my audience. So, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll send you a link to okay, that. Okay, brilliant. I think yeah. that's all from us. Um, 